For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. Gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Over the Line. Over the Line. That's right. What a creative name that is. Came up with that all by myself. Well, sure did. (laughs) Sure. Actually, I don't know if I came up with that or not. But it doesn't matter. Here we are, yet another episode, a Friday episode at that. This makes the third podcast this week, which is big considering I've done 20 hours of terrestrial radio and I've still found a way to get in a third podcast. Which is super awesome. This is what we're, we're looking to do. And, and with so much news, it makes it very easy to get on here and do a podcast for you guys. Uh, but however, however all this pans out, we want to do three a week if we can. We just don't know if, if uh, that's feasible. And we really, I mean, as, as much as it sucks, we can't really do... We can't really say, at least right now, we're going to do it on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You know, we can't say we're going to do it these days. They're just going to be kind of spontaneous. You pay attention to, if you're subscribed to the YouTube channel, you get a notification when we go live. Or if you're on the, the, the social media, you can, uh, you know, we post it on there. Although Facebook and, and Twitter both like to hide our post and censor us. So, you know, that is what it is. But. Uh, nonetheless, once we get rolling, really get this thing moving and get our advertiser set in, at that point, it will be consistent. Because once this thing is generating money, 
Uh, money is a big motivator, but money also frees up time. Time equals money. Money equals time. Yada, yada, yada. You know. Yeah, the whole thing goes so. Uh, first off, if you are not following us on the social medias, at Andrew McLean, who on the Twitters, that is Andrew McLean, one C. Andrew McLean, who, W-H-O. Uh, check me out there and then over the line on on Facebook. The big thing we need from you guys, the big, big thing, you ready for this? We need about 200, 200 more subscribers on YouTube. 200. And if we can get that, we will be able to appropriately use this YouTube channel. Um, YouTube limits you. I mean, there's there's some things. A big feature would be, not that anybody would really use it, because this, this seems kind of petty if you ask me, but it works out for a lot of YouTubers. Uh, once you get to 1,000 subscribers, people are able to uh, tip while they watch the video. So, for instance, you know, if you are watching and you're like, you know what? I'm a hook. I'm a hook Andrew up with a dollar. Hook me up with a dollar. And then you send that dollar and then I get it. And then if a bunch of people do that, then I get a lot of dollars. And then that way I just have money, you know? I really don't I really don't need your money, but you you can send it. It's okay. I mean, I, I always need your money. Let me I that's what I meant to say. All right, uh, so at Andrew McLean, who on Twitter, uh, Over the Line on uh, Facebook. We've been trying to promote the Over the Line page on Facebook, but after submitting three separate requests, Facebook has denied our uh, application. Now, it seems a little crazy that... This little old podcaster in Birmingham, Alabama, who just wants people to see his page, cannot give Facebook his money to promote. Because the way they do it, you set it to how many people you want to see it. And these are people, whether they're on your... Uh, actually, they already follow the the, uh, the over-the-line page. Or if they like certain things, like, for instance, if I wanted to say... Uh, make sure people that have liked the Donald Trump profile, make sure they see this ad. It'll start showing up in those news feeds. And it'll give you a range. It'll say, you know, you can pay this much, and we'll promise you uh, ten to 12,000 people will see it within five days. Or, you know, whatever the case. So it, it's very detailed, and it's it's a good tool to have. But it's not a good tool when Facebook gets to pick and choose who they let do it. So when Andrew's over here putting his credit card info into the Facebook and then the Facebook is like, well, we don't really like your content, so we're not going to let you advertise. That is what I call absurd in big tech tyranny. They don't like us. They don't like our um they don't like our message. They don't like nothing about us. Anyway, so yeah, that's that's my that's my overall spiel there on that. But 
Get me 200 subscribers on YouTube, and we'll go ahead and start moving this thing forward. We won't have to worry about silly old Facebook not letting us promote our stuff. All right, tonight's episode, now that I've rambled on for 20 minutes, tonight's episode is going to be about white people. That's right. White people are not being talked about enough. And... I want to talk about white people because white people, frankly, are stupid. A lot of times, white people are stupid. And I need to point out why these white people are stupid. Because as a white person myself, I don't want anybody to be stupid if they don't have to be. And I don't want white people to be stupid. Not that we can fix it, but I need to point it out. Maybe maybe some of you are acting this way as a white person, and me pointing this out will help steer you in a direction of self-reflecting and of, of, of uh, analyzing your life and your actions, and you can turn over a new leaf, if you will. We're also going to talk about Joe Biden and his racism. His racism from today and his racism from the days of old. We're going to talk about Black Lives Matter, and then just in general, the news of the day. Oh, we need to talk about um, a Mad Dog Mattis and his criticism of the president and why that should cost him the respect of his peers. Should cost him the respect of his peers. I'll explain why. It's not simply because he criticized Trump. I mean, it kind of is, but it's not It's not about Trump. It's about being a man of your word and being a man of integrity, which apparently he has lost the ability to do. Now, this is, this is coming from someone who is or was a huge Mad Dog Mattis fan. But I have lost that respect for him. And I had to read the comments before I decided that respect was gone. And, and, and after that, I saw comments from others, from his peers, who did just that. They lost that respect. And, and they, they put into letters, Trump tweeted one of them. I'm, I may read that to you as well, uh, explaining exactly why what he did was bad. What else we got going on? Let's see. Uh, dun, dun, dun. We've got... Duh. This is what I do. I go to Drudge Report and just see what the big bold letters say on the front. Fortress 1600. What they mean by that is the fences up at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue at the White House. That's a topic of discussion. But a new poll says Trump's approval rating is at 38%. Now, that 38% did not necessarily come after the job numbers today. Once the job numbers came out, it changed a lot of minds. I have a feeling because some people speak the language of green and that's all they care about. 
and it's that's not a bad thing. It's, it's not a bad thing to care about your uh, about money, about providing for your family, providing for yourself. That's a good thing. But that will drive people that are on the middle of the fence, or even people that are in the camp of not liking a particular person. Green money will help change their tune. So we got that going on, and then just the chaos going on around the world. It's uh. It's a lot, a lot of stuff, a lot of things. I do, however, got a very special guest on the line that I wanted to bring on. I've been trying to bring him on all week, but this dude is, um, he's a little too big for his britches, so he's hard to, he's hard to nail down. His name is Scott Beeson, former senator slash radio talk show host, Scott Beeson. Scott, do we have you, buddy? Hey buddy, how's it going? Man, just rocking and rolling. Very excited to have this great honor of you on the podcast. I think I pulled it off one time, maybe like a year ago, and now here we are again. I feel like I've reached the mecca of podcasts. You, you have really come up a little bit. You know, I keep stats on popularity of podcasts, and you you have you're back in that up crust. So. Uh, I've got the time to be on now. You think I, you've been checking my numbers? How about this? Yeah. What... Um, I, I actually, I've been trying to pay Facebook to promote the Over the Line Facebook page, and they won't let me. They've denied me three separate times. <laughs> it could be because you're, uh, you're conservative, and, <laughs> and Facebook has it. Yeah, it's probably got a touch to do with that. I I don't know. So uh, let me ask you. I won't keep you too long, Scott, because I know it's kind of last minute. Um. You host a radio show on WXJC out of Birmingham, Alabama. Um, people can follow you on all your social media. A lot of times you even Facebook Live your show so they can watch it or listen that way. Um, yep. You've been on vacation, though. You, you've you been out of pocket all week. Is that correct? Man, you're really out of pocket because your signal sucks, my friend. Do I still got you? <laughs> I think I lost him. And uh, so oh, I, I've been back. It was probably good that I was not on the first couple of days of the the rioting. Uh, and, you know, it probably it probably allowed me to keep a radio program. Okay, so you you cut out. So you you said you are back. Yes, I am back. I was back on Wednesday. Okay, so you've had a solid three days of radio. You've gotten to get this out of your system, which shows I don't yes. listen to your show enough. Uh, I didn't know. <laughs> I thought you were out all week, so I didn't even bother. Uh, okay, so you're out of pocket, though, on Monday and Tuesday, and you see all this stuff going down. Let's let's take Scott Beeson back to Monday morning, because I know you didn't stay up late and watch the riots in, in Birmingham. Monday morning... You wake up, you see the news, you see the videos, you see the pictures. What is Scott Beeson's first reaction? Uh, that that um, radicals in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, and I'm not talking about black folks. I'm not. I'm talking about radicals, white, black, green, orange. Just could not help themselves. They they have to get in on it. Uh, Birmingham always has to be in on whatever craziness the rest of the country is, is going through. And, and I was a little bothered by it because the week before I had state representative John Rogers on my radio program, we've been friends for a long time. Yeah. And, and we were both, you know, saying how 
much better things are in Birmingham and in a lot of southern uh, cities than they are in other places around the country. And I was really hoping that Birmingham would remain peaceful and, and you know, we have a genuine discussion. And But, you know, that, that turned out <laughs> not to be the case. You and John jumped the shark on that one, didn't you? <laughs> we did. Well, well you know, we're, we're very positive. Yeah, optimistic. Forward-looking people. Optimistic. Well, and we saw what happened. It was uh, really, uh, if we're being honest, it was devastating as uh, people from Birmingham. You know, you and I, we live outside of the city limits, but we consider ourselves from Birmingham. Birmingham's home, uh, sweet home Alabama, if you will. But. Uh, it well, was it was very very sad to see, and and we live in a in a in an area of the country, in a region of the country, where we don't really expect these things to happen. For for instance, maybe Atlanta, you'll see it there. Um, some other places. I mean, you probably start seeing it about Kentucky, but once you cross that Kentucky Tennessee state line. You really don't get any riots down here. You don't get buildings set on fire and windows broken out. But that all changed Sunday night, and it's changed for a lot of cities that used to be immune from this stuff. Uh, after after getting a, getting a handle on everything that happened, you saw one of the ringleaders initially was a guy by the name of Jermaine Funny Maine. Johnson and yeah, most yeah. everybody knows him. He's the guy that makes the Alabama football videos. He's very beloved by a very diverse crowd. A crowd of black people, white people, male, female, uh, gay, Hispanic, um, uh, people from all walks of life like bankers, hairstylists, uh, waiters yeah, and aliens. waitresses. Uh, aliens, foreigners, aliens, aliens from other planets. <laughs> Illegal aliens. Um, yes. And even small business owners. Uh, now, mm-hmm. he had a very emotional speech at that rally that was peaceful at first. And he said some things. He said off the top that we had... Uh, he, he says, we want to, and his, it was very passionate on his end, he said, we want to tear some ish down. And mm-hmm. said it in a way that was very vague as to what the ish was, although right. he was talking about the monuments, but the statement itself did not specify that. He did later on, before things got crazy, he said, I don't want none of y'all touching none of these buildings. You touch a leaf on a tree, we're going to beat your A-double crooked butter, blah, blah, blah. And right. so he backtracked. Well, I don't say he backtracked, but he tried to put a disclaimer after the fact. And I guess maybe hoping that everybody that heard the first speech heard the second speech, even though you've already got everybody all fired up. We yeah, had it's him. Hard, it's hard to uh, it's hard to put the fire out once you start it. Exactly, and he's not a stupid guy. He sees what's going on across the country, and he knows that there is the potential for that in any city at any given time. Well, Andrea Lindenberg and myself, as I was filling in on ninety nine five this week, we had him on yesterday, and I gave him the opportunity to say he was wrong. For doing that, that he was uh, he, he was at fault 
for using some very irresponsible language. Not that he had to take credit for the riots, but he had to take credit for being one of the sparks that led to what we saw, and he absolutely refused to apologize or even regret it. How did you view that whole thing? No, and I'm disappointed. Uh, I knew that he had said things that were inflammatory, uh, I was unaware that he had tried to backtrack in the in the same speech, but then the fact that he refuses to uh, own up to any of it, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting this who statement trying to basically unify people. If you hear, he just doesn't agree with Colin Kaepernick. Right. And what he was doing, but, but a very unifying thing. And he is just lambasted, has to come back, oh, apologize, I'm out of somebody's feeling or whatever. And then you get Funny Man Johnson, who, you know, there's no regret, there's no no pressure on him, it's all fine. You, yeah, you did try to get people to, to uh, tear down things, and people started burning. Person is NFL coach of the Denver Broncos said, "I don't really have race problems. We don't race problems in the NFL." Right, right, right. Well, and you're cutting out a little bit, but I got we got the gist of what you're saying. And there you go. Bye, Beeson. You just left. Daggummit. Um. Yeah, so you hear Beeson, he is disappointed in, in what he what he heard and what he saw. And it's not something that I, you know, am, am looking to harp on, but it is an important topic because so many people have reached out to me and told me how upset they were because so many people felt like they were, almost felt like they knew this guy. They felt a connection yeah. to him, right? Yes. Yeah. I know I'm in the same boat, and but and let me let me finish that that one thought. I have the, I'm disappointed in him. I probably will not watch his events, um, and, and that's you know that's that's one of the few ways that we have to push back on any of the stuff that's going on. But but let's get to the bottom. Funny Man Johnson has some responsibility, but the city of Birmingham is responsible for what occurred in that town. And let me explain why. Um, I had a caller who called in the radio program to tell me about an incident he had witnessed personally, and then it ended up making the news. And this was the African-American woman, who I think she was in a Walmart, um, thrown to the ground by police officers over... Her having to wear a mask. Yeah, she was right? not wearing a mask, allegedly. She was not wearing a mask. So Birmingham police, Johnny on the spot, ow, you gotta you, you gotta have a mask on. We're not there's we're not tolerating any of this. That's a crime. Then we then we allow them to tear down statues, bash in windows, um, riot, vandalize, and and we just stand around and watch. Do you do you see what I'm saying? Right. That is that is a that's a that can't be tolerated. No. Number one, where was the outcry for I would say brutality for the poor woman not wearing a mask and then no law enforcement whatsoever 
while they people sit and watch things, I, I promise you that if I went down and was just going to cut down a tree or dig up a bush in in a public park in Birmingham, I would be stopped. Oh, certainly, and, and prosecuted. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and so so I don't I don't really understand how the city how the mayor kind of works through all that you know they have an iron fist when it comes to mask and COVID-19 but they'll just watch so I really put the responsibility on the city of Birmingham and I feel sorry for law enforcement officers who are like okay so what what rules and what laws are we enforcing we have we just kind of make them up as we go right and these are guys just trying to do their job um we we also we had Steve Marshall on before we had Jermaine Funny Mane and formerly Funny Mane, which by the way, I never liked his videos. I thought they, I, I thought maybe the first or second one I saw was funny, but I thought the rest of them were stupid. And well, that's because you're that's because you're a Tennessee fan. Okay, and, okay, and it's it. just no every week. I mean, it's it's hard to say something funny for a Tennessee person. Y'all got to win some more games, and then you'll be amused by him making fun of. Uh, other teams. Sometimes, sometimes sports is not all fun and games. Okay, Beeson. Sometimes it's serious. <laughs> um, but we had Steve Marshall, and he talked about the relationship he has with Mayor Randall Woodfin, and you know they've okay. got a previous relationship and all that. Because I asked him if the if the phone call was hostile. They talked for a while, but it was basically the mayor contacting Steve, the Attorney General, and saying. Uh, hey, just let me know what our punishment's going to be because I'm going to be taking this bad boy down. Now that should right. that should worry people that that the the mayor is just openly defying state law, but uh, that's that's another issue. Um, I also, but that is a big big issue because um, it, it teaches the lesson that. Hey, there are laws. I'm an elected official, and there are laws that I just think are wrong, and we're going to break them. Um, which tells citizens, hey, there are things that uh, you may have laws and rules, but I'm going to break them. It's not a good lesson to be taught, no matter what. Well, especially when you've got an angry uh, crowd, an angry mob that's trying to destroy your city. It's a bad time to show that breaking the law is cool, which they did on that front as well. Um, So, yeah, there's that issue, and then there is the issue of where is the money coming from? And I've heard rumors, and I, I i mean, I guess this is my podcast. I can probably just throw out a rumor that's uh, unsubstantiated. Yeah, you, you, um, you said it's a rumor. Hey, just do like uh, some of the cable news networks. Sources say or people say. Yes, an anonymous source uh, told yes. me that Mayor Randall Woodfin contacted super mega powerful attorney Alexander Shinara and asked him to donate the money for the fine. Now, I have no way of backing that up, no way of validating it, but it does not surprise me to hear that. Now, we were going to have him, and I was going to ask him this question. We were going to have him on the show today, but 
I don't know if he refused to come on or he didn't have time to come on, whatever the deal was. I do know earlier in the week I called him a coward on Twitter, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But right, right, right. we didn't get him up. We yeah, we yeah, didn't have I, the ability to ask him. I don't think when he said call me Alabama, he meant call me a coward. <laughs> <laughs> or call me and ask for $25,000 to pay for your <laughs> stupid political stunt. You know, or call, or call me and ask me to pay the fine for your your, your political stuff. <laughs> exactly. So, um, coming from your point of view, and, and you, you've never been a mayor or anything like that, but you were a state senator. You held a pretty high office in the state of Alabama. Where do you think that money will ultimately be coming from? Is it is that on the taxpayers or what? Nah. Uh, well. If if they were raising the money beforehand and they were saying, hey, look, we're going to go out and break the law, we're going to take down a statue that the majority of the folks, I mean, until controversy started, I grew up in, in the Birmingham area. I lived in Gardendale since I was like seven, eight years old, something like that. And I never knew that there was a monument down there. And, and, and half the people don't even know who Lynn Park was named after and all this kind of stuff. But if they tried to raise the money ahead of time and say, we're going to take down this Confederate statue or this Confederate memorial, we're going to have to pay a fine, go, we'll get a GoFundMe account, you, they might be able to raise it from private donors. After it's already done, it kind of takes the, takes the glamour off of it a little bit, and, and it'll, make it, it'll make it more difficult for a city to raise money to pay a fine, unless they can just get an individual who, you know, for whatever reason is invested in, um, you know, think about it. In the old days, they would have called somebody like a Donald Trump who needs needs to do business, needs to get permits, needs to be able to do this, needs to be able to do that, needs the city to be fond of them. That kind of person is very likely to pay it. Because it keeps the uh, the wheels greased. Let's just put it that way. And here, here's the other thing that um, we can argue about monuments and memorials. Um, I, I get all that. But all those things, I know symbolism has power. But none of that fixes any of the problems that we're supposedly dealing with. It, it doesn't fix... Um, what we're going to do about education. It doesn't fix what we're going to do about inner city crime. It doesn't fix um, the the very, very rare instance of um, police officer brutality. It doesn't fix any of that kind of stuff. It just continues to, it, it gives people this, and I don't know what they're going to do, what some of these radicals are going to do when they run out of things. Now, they're going to move on to, and they did this in Birmingham. They 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 defaced or tore down the the part that attributes the name of Jefferson County to Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers. And they will move on to um, uh, dealing with the founding fathers. They will they will be next, and everybody's going to be like, "Wait a minute! I thought you were just mad at the Confederates." No, it'll it's going to be everybody. And, and we said this. We said it way back when the when the controversy was the uh, battle flags, that all the people capitulating, okay, we'll, we'll remove that, would not satisfy some of the crowd. 
And but here's my thing, Andrew. Regular folks, white, black, green, orange, the regular people out there of every race, every persuasion, just good, solid Americans are all I just had a conversation with a lady fifteen, twenty minutes ago at the at a restaurant and, and she was just started telling me, I don't understand what's going on. What what are these crazy people doing? She was African American. And and she was like, I'm ready for all this to be over. I've got I got a job, I gotta work, I got things I gotta do. And uh, these people are just causing all kinds of problems and they're not gonna make anything better for anybody. And so we had a great conversation from the viewpoint of, hey, look, we're regular people just trying to get along with everybody. Uh, same kind of view, just trying to take care of our families, et cetera. I think most Americans are put out with what's going on. The press just won't let you know it. If you watch the mainstream media, you think everybody has become radicalized. Right. And that's, um, you know, not only that, but that the, they're getting their way through the violence. And no, that, uh, again, that, that is the problem. The real, yes. the real tragedy of the monuments coming down is the fact the only people that had a say so or the only people that had a, a vote per se were a group of angry, violent, domestic terrorists. And, and no one can change my mind about that. But that's what happened. And now we move forward. Now we move forward into a time where uh, just after that, well, I guess during that time, there were death threats sent into um, the the mayor's office. I I heard audio from a nine one one call that was allegedly that that death threat, um, and they arrested a guy. I was very skeptical because I really felt like that now that that death threat was a Jesse Smollett wannabe, and that you know we were going to have. Well, for people that don't know, the death threat was. I'm going to come down there and I'm going to shoot the mayor and I'm going to blow up the Black Lives Matter protesters and uh, I'm, I'm bringing the KKK with me. And so it, it, it spread like wildfire all over social media. People right. in Birmingham were closing their businesses early, hospitals, um, uh, the VA, people at the VA were leaving early. It was, it was, it was madness. It was crazy. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that, that goes on when you let this stuff, when you when you give it a pass, when when you allow these things to happen, violence well, let, let only creates more violence. This, this, this one thing that happened. So I'm talking to this black lady uh, earlier, super sweet lady, and uh, one of the things she led in the conversation she was like, "Yeah, uh, yesterday, um, everybody was." Going home and stuff because, uh, and she's trying to whisper. She says, "Cause you know they, uh, they were they, those folks were coming to Birmingham." I said, "I said, you mean when they were telling everybody the Klan was coming?" And she started dying laughing, and she was like, "Yeah." And I said, "What? Oh, all, all four of them?" <laughs> right. And, uh, she said, "I know there ain't nobody." She's like, "There ain't nobody in the Klan anymore." And um, I was just, I was laughing. I love the lady. And uh, she was just so level-headed. And, and so we just were laughing about the fact that the city of Birmingham went crazy. You would have thought 20,000 people were going to descend on the city. And then we started talking about the news. And I said, well, I figured I'd wake up this morning and uh, the old Birmingham news would have figured out a way to take pictures of the four 
uh, clan members and make it look like 4,000, even if right. they had to copy and paste it in. And she's like, I know, the news, all they want us to do is be mad at each other and everything's sensational. I'm telling you, it talking to this lady gave me, I have hope for the country. Right. And, well, and let's hope the sentiments uh, spread like um, people will start waking up to what the media is doing. Because one of the biggest culprits in all of this is the media. It's not just glorifying Antifa or, you know, giving the violent protesters a pass, but it it is stoking the division, stoking the hate. I mean, obviously, the way they treat the president is every day a new level of crazy, but right. that's what they live on. That's their fuel. That's that's their moneymaker, and they're going to continue well, to do it. It's, it's times like these that are their their prime time. Well, I told I was talking to the lady about the press and how dishonest they are, and and I said like you know a good example you, you know about them uh, in Washington that they you know hit the the protesters with tear gas the other night. She was like, yeah. And I said, but I guess you, you probably didn't know that that was not true. She was like, what? I said, yeah, you know, they wait a day or two. And then finally somebody comes out and says, no, that didn't happen. And even Nancy Pelosi said, well, yeah, that probably didn't happen. She was like, no way. So, so we had a great conversation about, they just say things to us, tell the American people things. And if it's wrong, they just, ignore it and move on to the next uh, fallacy that they tell us. Or at the very most, they will correct it while nobody's listening. Oh, yeah, yeah. The old newspapers used to do that, too. They would come out and say something terrible about you, about me in the legislature, and uh, that would be, you know, page one, page two, right on the front of a section. And then if they ever fixed it, they would mention it two weeks later in some, you know, obscure part of the paper and and I promise you, when I would argue with them about it, they were like, we corrected it. We published a correction. I'm like, you guys, y'all have no no honor. You, you just, it, it's pitiful. Yeah. You put, you know, you put your accusation on page one, but you put your correction way back, little bitty square somewhere where nobody is looking right between ads for, uh, you know, come watch grass grow with us and, um, I don't know. I don't know what the other ad right, is. Right. Yeah, tell me this. Were you, in fact, when you were in office, the most hated man in the Alabama legislature? I don't think in the legislature. Um, uh, probably not amongst legislators, but there were probably some times where the news, the media probably hated me more than than anybody. Yeah, mm. I would I would say. And, and I used to joke with... Uh, Roy Moore, that I would be glad to give him the mantle back, <laughs> right? So, so he could he could take it back. But you know, I was the sponsor of the anti illegal immigration bill. Mm. I was the sponsor of pro life legislation. Um, I you know I I sponsored trying to, uh, accountability when it comes to spending. I didn't allow Jefferson. I probably killed more taxes than anybody in the last thirty years in the legislature. I sponsored pro-Second Amendment stuff and got it passed. And that's that's really how they get upset. They don't care if you sponsor it. They don't care if you do speeches about it. They don't care. You can, if you're just a blowhard, you're okay. But if you ever start changing the law and fixing things and actually getting done what you say you want to get done, 
now you're the enemy. And and the fact that you are amongst mostly Republicans, I think, speaks volumes. Uh, Alabama Republicans, I believe, then, when you were in office, and even now, is almost... It, it it's the epitome of everything that's wrong with the Republican Party, if you ask me. Well, there's there's a, there's a lot of people, and I used to, I, I wish I could remember how I used to explain it, but um, it goes along with what I was saying. You're you're a conservative if you campaign on it. Um, if you actually sponsor legislation to do what you campaigned on, you're probably a you know, a, a strong conservative. If you actually try to pass it, now you're getting to be maybe a radical conservative. And if you actually pass those things into law, you're a crazy right-wing <laughs> fundamentalist right. conservative. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, I think in Alabama, Republicans have, have lost their way. Uh, I think there were a few of us that were there back then that, kind of kept everything focused and people didn't want to get outside the the conservative agenda but now that there's not a lot of pressure there's not a lot of real solid um members down there i can't tell the difference in some of the things that are done in montgomery now and what was being done when the democrats were still in charge i mean what we had one of the largest tax increases the gas tax Increase the uh, the inability to get some of the budgets under control. Right. Um, uh, we 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 love to regulate. We regulate businesses. It's um we've lost our way. The problem is there's no there's no other side to push against them because the Democrats are decimated in this state. So all the Democrats uh, became Republicans, and now half of them. Are in- Did I lose you? Are you still there? No, I'm still here. Okay, I'm okay. Still here. I thought you cut out. Okay, last thing before I let you go. All right, because I'm starving to death. I got, <laughs> got my food with me. What do you What do you got? Up. I got wings from a place you know very well. Oh, uh, no, you did. Oh, yeah. Oh, I did. King's Blend? No, no, no. Honey barbecue, baby. Oh, Honey barbecue. Well, that's all right. Danny McLean would be so proud right now. I'm, I'm going to make sure he hears this. Um, last but not least, I'm working to get Jeff Sessions on the show. I got I got to speak to him for the first time on, oh, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday we had him on the show, and we also had Tommy Tupperville on. I know you've had him on multiple right. times on your show. Um, what is your thought process on that race while, I mean, we, right now we're looking at Jeff Sessions being pummeled in the polls and it it every bit of it revolves around trump's feelings about sessions where are you at um i think that sessions has a better chance than people have given him credit i think he would have gotten pummeled if the runoff had occurred what three four weeks after the primary but covid 19 might have saved jeff sessions um i think tommy tuberville refusing to have a debate is actually hurting Tuberville. I also believe that uh, Tuberville's campaign, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm neutral on this thing, um, but Tuberville's campaign putting out as much polling as they are, and, and I'm familiar with the polling company, and I'm familiar with their practices. Um, I, I don't doubt that that's the numbers 
that they've got, uh, I just don't know what their sample was. Um, right. The people, the people who vote in a Republican primary runoff in the middle of July are not normal Alabama voters. Um, and if I was advising the Tuberville campaign, I would advise them to realize that. Um, I think some of his some of his consultants are from out of state and they may not understand the state. And if they, if they don't understand the state, they, they could lose their candidate. Right. Um, but I do think that I, I had a number of people call me and contact the show who voted for Tommy Tuberville back on the primary. And they said they're voting for Jeff Sessions this time around. Okay. That's, that their anger with Sessions is waning as they realize Jeff Sessions knows what he's talking about on all the big issues. Whether Donald Trump is mad at him or not, don't forget, Donald Trump weighed in heavily and tried to get Luther Strange elected. Remember? I remember. Alabamians don't just vote. They love the president. I love the president. But Alabamians just will not be told who to vote for. And uh, I think Sessions has a much better shot than just the run-of-the-mill person thinks, especially if the people who are for Tuberville think, well, Tuberville's going to kill him. I just saw a poll that said he's going to win by 15. Right, exactly. Well, and, so, and I think the biggest takeaway from this or the, the biggest thing to watch is is the fact that it's a special election and when it is, like you said, it's not your average voting block that would be uh, out voting on the same ballot that uh, Donald Trump's second term is going to be on. So that's right. It'll be interesting. I'm trying to get Jeff Sessions on the podcast to do a kind of a long form interview. So we're like, we can skip over all the politicians speak and I can get him to, to just pretend like he's talking to somebody on the phone. So we'll see how that goes. His people have not hit me back. So I may have to uh, abuse my friendship and get you to uh, do it. if you want to, uh, yeah, absolutely. If you want to hear that, you can just listen to my radio program. Oh, <laughs> ouch. I got you. All right, brother. Uh, hey, I got to roll, man. All right, uh, real quick. Uh, WXJC, uh, I'm sorry, WYDE is the yes. station you're on. And uh, is there a website people can go to to listen online? Yeah, so, so WYDE, you can listen on um, AM 1260, which is actually a really good throwback talk radio has good range in central Alabama, AM 1260, FM 92.5, or scottbeeson.com, com, And don't forget, as of about three, four weeks ago, if you miss my show live from 9 until 12, you can hear it in all the same places from 4 to 7, Monday through Friday in the afternoon. So now you can hear Scott Beeson Radio in the mornings and at drive time. It couldn't be any better. Look at that. Look at that. Scott Beeson, I appreciate you, buddy. I'll be talking to you soon, man. Thanks, Andrew. See you, buddy. There you go. There's my man, Scott Beeson, former state senator Scott Beeson. Very, very important individual that man is. So here's what we're going to do. I got a lot of audio to play for you guys, and I am going to do that on the other side. So you guys can just sit down, hang tight for just a minute. We're going to be right back. When we get back, we're going to talk about white people. We're going to talk about Joe Biden. We're going to talk about racism and a lot of stuff and a lot of things. I don't know how long this podcast is going to go tonight. I've already 
I think I'm already hitting my limit, but we'll just go till we can't go no mo. Y'all hang tight. Over the line, Andrew McLean, June the 5th, 2020. Thank y'all for uh, making a, an appearance, stopping by, whether that's on the YouTubes or you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whatever that may be. I appreciate you more than you will possibly ever know. Now, I got a lot to talk about. That last segment was consumed by former state senator Scott Beeson, former state senator slash radio show uh, mega mogul Scott Beeson, who he says, if you want to hear. If you want to hear Jeff Sessions on uh, the radio in an in-depth interview, you have to listen to his show. Uh, Hopefully we'll pull it off. I'm just waiting on. His uh his people to holla back, holla back at me. So we'll see what happens. All right. So I, I've thrown out a lot of topics at y'all, um, but there's there's just a couple things that I'm going to tackle. We can get into some of that other stuff if it if it continues to uh bleed over. I also want to mention I got to pull up this real quick. My TV cut off because I paused. I use a Fire Stick and I use Hulu Live TV, right? And if you pause, if you're watching live TV and you pause it, after like three or four minutes, it just cuts the whole friggin' thing off. And I don't know why. It drives me crazy. It's like, dude, I was watching that. I just paused it for a minute. So now I got to see if it even saved my place. But the reason I stopped it is because I wanted uh, to describe to you the scene in Washington, D.C. right now. Now, there is a a road, and I don't know, I don't know the layout. I've actually never been to Washington, D.C., I'm I'm ashamed to say. But there is a road that, that leads somewhere between the Lincoln Memorial and the White House. And, and I'm not sure what the name of this road is but i know what it is now as i saw washington dc city workers or whatever 
putting up a new street sign on the corner that said Black Lives Matter Street or Black Lives Matter Avenue, whatever it was. I just, I don't know the details behind it. I just saw it on the TV. And also on that same street, in the biggest letters, biggest yellow letters you can imagine, they have painted Black Lives Matter all the way down this bad boy. Now, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, first of all, it's not my city, so I could care less. What I do have a problem with is the absolute sickening pandering that's going on with that. Because that's what it is. It's, it's pandering. It's not compassion. It's not a move to actually improve the black community or prevent... Uh, uh, overuse of, of, of force by police or anything like that. It's 100% pandering. And I, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's disrespectful. I'm just saying. If, if, if we're in a situation, a dire situation that requires action to stop what is going on in this world right now, pandering is not doing anything. Pandering's not doing anything at all. But that was that was just a sight to see, so I wanted to point that out for you. Sorry, I'm vaping. So, uh, let's start off with the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees. You see here, I'm wearing a, uh, a Drew Brees, or I'm sorry, a, a New Orleans Saints hat. I like Drew Brees. I, I kind of like Drew Brees. I, I've held a grudge against him for a while because of their Super Bowl victory against the the Indianapolis Colts in 2010. A, a, an, an Indianapolis Colts team that was led by Peyton Manning. It was the very first football game that was live that came on TV after my son was born. My son, who I named Peyton. And I thought, man, this is the ideal situation. I've named my kid after my my favorite football player of all, all time. And the guy's in the freaking Super Bowl and he's going to win. It's going to be a story I'll always be able to tell him. And then they went and lost. But I'm over that because I think Drew Brees is a great guy. He's done a lot of good things for the community. Possibly, possibly the most charitable guy in all of the NFL. I couldn't tell you. I can't think of a person that's more charitable. Maybe J.J. Watt or somebody somebody in that realm. But he has found himself in the midst of controversy. And if you've been listening to me on Terrestrial Radio this week, you, you heard me talking about this. He was doing an interview with Yahoo... Yahoo Finance, I guess. I don't, I don't really know why he's even on Yahoo Finance. But... The question was posed about the kneeling at the national anthem as a form of protest because with everything that's going on in the wake of the death of George Floyd, that's just uh, that's a topic that's come back up, especially when we're dealing with peaceful and non-peaceful protesters. The kneeling of the national anthem was a huge controversy, as you well know, and it was peaceful. There was never any violence or riots break out because of kneeling. 
I mean, if you tie the two, it's a very loose tie. But it's being brought back up. And Drew Brees was asked about it because he's been vocal about it in the past. So in all honesty, the host here asking the question, he already knows the answer. He's just trying to produce some content. I'm going to play that clip for you. Take a listen to this. Everyone is looking back now at Kaepernick's protests from a few years ago, and obviously they were always about police brutality, and now it's coming back to the fore, and a lot of people expect that we will see players kneeling again even when the NFL season starts. I'm curious how you think the NFL will and should respond to that, and of course you're such a leader in the league. Uh, what is your responsibility as a leader uh, in times like this for the rest of your teammates and, and players in the league? Well, I, I will. I will never agree with anybody um, disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. Um, let me let me just tell you what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played, and when I look at the the flag of the United States, I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the Army and one in the Marine Corps, both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. So every time I stand with my hand over my heart, looking at that flag and singing the national anthem, that's what I think about. And in many cases, it brings me to tears, thinking about all that has been sacrificed, not just those in the military, but for that matter, those throughout the civil rights movements of the 60s and everyone and all that has been endured by so many people up until this point. And is everything right with our country right now? No, it's not. We still have a long way to go. But I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. It shows that we are all in this together. We can all do better. And that we are all part of the solution. So there's Drew Brees' comments. He talks about what that flag means to him, what the national anthem means to him. And it means... You know, it's it's a reminder of his grandfathers. It's a reminder of those that fought and even died during the civil rights movement so we could all be treated equally. It, it represents a plethora of things, uh, especially the obstacles that our country has overcome over its short history. Because we've come through... A lot of adversity. I don't think anybody can deny that. So you think, okay, yeah, it's controversial for him to say that he's he doesn't and will never agree with the national anthem protest. But it's um, again, it was known. It's not anything that we didn't know about Drew Brees. He's made these comments before. But his fellow players that know him that know him better than anyone else know his heart to I guess to an extent they know what kind of person he is they know his charitable acts they commenced to ripping him to shreds for having the audacity to talk about the pride he has in his country to talk about the pride he has because of his grandparents that served and the people they served alongside. He had the audacity, ironically, 
to talk about the likes of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and others who gave their life to make this country a better place. And he was demonized, vilified, and just absolutely ripped apart. This tweet from Richard Sherman, who I have no respect for, and it has nothing to do with this. I just think he's a smug, cocky D-bag that uh, is just not a likable guy. I mean, when it comes down to it, he's not. He's not a likable guy. His response to Drew Brees, he says, he's beyond lost. Guarantee you there were black men fighting alongside your grandfather, but this doesn't seem to be about that. That uncomfortable conversation you're trying to avoid by injecting military into a conversation about brutality and equality is part of the problem. Richard Sherman says the actions, the actions of uh, Drew Brees, I'm sorry, the comments of Drew Brees are part of the problem. But then, but then, that wasn't the bad one. The bad one came when his fellow teammate Malcolm Jenkins decided to pipe in and speak on the issue. And let me see if I can find you the audio for that. I believe I have it here. Now, full disclaimer, Malcolm Jenkins uses some extremely salty language. Not a lot of it, but the little bit he does use is pretty bad. So prepare yourself for the salty language because this is not edited. But he posted this on his uh, on his, his Twitter He said, I recorded a few videos when thinking of how to respond to Drew Brees, who was his quarterback, his teammate, his brother, the guy he goes to battle with every Sunday during football season. He said, I don't take any of it back. I meant what I said. I removed the first video, which I'll play for you, because I knew knew it'd be more about the headlines. I want people to understand how those of us struggling with what's going on feel now actually since that was the first video he deleted the first video here's what we'll do we'll go ahead and play you the first video how about that again salty language disclaimer so be prepared for that malcolm jenkins new orleans saints responding to drew Brees. yeah i promise you this the onslaught of shit that we have to deal with is fucking crazy right now. Drew Brees, if you don't understand how hurtful, how insensitive your comments are, you are part of the problem. To think that because your grandfather's served in this country and you have a great respect for the flag that everybody else should have the same ideals and 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 thoughts that you do is ridiculous and it shows that you don't know history because when our grandfathers fought in for this country and served and they came back 
They didn't come back to a hero's welcome. They came back and got attacked <clears throat> for wearing their uniforms. They came back to people, to racism, to complete violence. And then here we are in 2020 with the whole country on fire. Everybody witnessing a black man dying at the hand, being murdered at the hands of the police with his just in cold blood for everybody. To I hate to be that guy, but can we get the kids to shut up? I'm sorry. To see the whole country's on fire. And the first thing that you do is criticize one's peaceful protest. This is not the first thing. And, and Malcolm Jenkins knows this. It's completely disingenuous to say, oh, the first thing you do, the first thing you do is criticize our protest. All the man is saying is, hey, for me, for me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to kneel for the flag because I'm not going to disrespect the flag. And the fact that he brought up a part of that American history is those, or are those people from the civil rights movement shows that that flag represents those people for him too. And he does not support desecrating or disrespecting those people because there's a million ways to protest bro you got the message you've done the kneeling on the national anthem and it's done nothing but cause more division so it's not about bringing attention to the issue and it hasn't been about bringing attention to the issue Maybe the first couple weeks, first two or three weeks, maybe that was the case for Colin Kaepernick. But that scenario is long gone. It no longer means anything other than dividing us further. That's what it means. And that's what Malcolm Jenkins is all worked up about. Not about the issues itself. He's worked up over the fact that Drew Brees is speaking the truth and he's standing up for himself for being patriotic. That was years ago when we were trying to signal uh, uh, a sign for help and signal for our allies and our white brothers and sisters, the people we considered to be friends, to get involved. It was ignored. And here we are now with the world on fire and you still continue to first criticize how we, peaceful how we peacefully protest because it doesn't fit in what you do and your beliefs without ever acknowledging that a fact that the man was murdered at the hands of police in front of us all. Right, because Drew Brees has never acknowledged that. I'm sure, I'm sure Malcolm Jenkins, that he's completely ignored that and not said a word about it. Give me a break. That has been continuing for centuries that the same brothers that you break the huddle down with before every single game, the same guys that you bleed with and go on a battle with every single day, go home to communities that have been <clears throat> decimated. Drew, un uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, you're somebody who doesn't understand their privilege. You don't understand the potential that you have to actually be an advocate for the people that you call brothers. You don't understand the history 
and why people like me, people with my skin color, whose grandfather fought for this country, who served, and I still protested against that, against the, not against the national anthem, but against what was happening in America and what our, the fabric of this country is for, or stands for. If you don't understand that other people experience something totally different than you, then when you talk about being the brotherhood and all this other bullshit, it's just lip service or it's only on the field. Because when we step off of this field and I take my helmet off and I'm a black man walking around America and I'm telling you I'm dealing with these things, I'm telling you my communities are dealing with these things, and your response to me is, don't talk about that here. This is not the place. Drew, where is the place, Drew? I'm disappointed. I'm hurt. Because while the world tells you... You're disappointed and you're hurt because you're making stuff up. That's not true. He never told you what to do and what not to do. He told you what he supported and what he didn't support. Jesus not told one person that they can't do anything. So if you're going to get on here and you're going to blast your brother like a 14-year-old girl instead of going and talking to him like a man, at least don't make things up. That you're not worthy, that your life doesn't matter. The last place you want to hear from are the guys that you that you go to war with and that you consider to be allies and to be your friends. Even though we're teammates, I can't let this slide. Yeah, you can't let it slide. You can't let it slide because of your own pride. That's why you can't let it slide. You're making stuff up. And you're turning what Drew Brees said into something it is not. Not even remotely close to what it is. But here's the thing. This is the way the left operates, okay? And I don't doubt Malcolm Jenkins' frustration and his sadness and, 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 and the emotions that he has when he saw what happened to George, George Floyd. I would dare to say, and I hate, I hate it's this way because I feel like we all need to view Americans as Americans and any death, especially in this situation, the way this happened, should never happen and it's a tragedy. But I'm not even going to pretend that I know what it's like to be a black man that watched that happen for the first time. I would want to say my emotions are the same as theirs because... I felt overwhelming sadness that that happened. Frustration, anger. But black people maybe have some different emotions when they watch that. It's fine. It's, it's, it's perfectly fine and understandable. But Drew Brees should not put up with someone telling him that he can't respect this flag that he can't respect this national anthem and still support his black brothers and sisters. You don't get to decide that. 
You don't. And Drew Brees should not be given into that nonsense. I get it. It was a tough position for him. And he's such a good guy that he backed off his comments because he cares more about the people that claim he cares nothing about them and was talking all this smack about him publicly instead of going to him like a man. I get it. Drew Brees is the bigger person in this situation. But I will guarantee you, if the left guilts you out of your patriotism, you don't get rewarded for that. You will not get rewarded for backing off your patriotism. You will continue to be demonized. That's it. That's all. That's it. I have no compassion for the way that he treated Drew Brees. None whatsoever. And I know it's it's tough to sit there and listen to a grown man cry over an issue he feels passionate about, but that was disingenuous to me. I'm not buying into it. Not going to do it whatsoever. All right, so outside of that, outside of Drew Brees having to back off that, and he will continue to be demonized. They won't let that go. He, he already said he's not going to let it go. So Drew Brees is... In Malcolm Jenkins' terms, has lost that relationship. I want to move over to white people and why white people are absolutely out of their minds. I'm not going to put Drew Brees in this in this category, okay? Just so y'all know. I have watched video after video after video of white people acting completely stupid, and, and nothing drives me more crazy, okay? And this drives me crazy because I have compassion for the black people, the black community in this country. I absolutely do. But my statement, because I know my heart better than anybody else, it rings hollow because of my skin color. I have a stigma on me because of my skin color that I have this privilege and that I should feel guilty. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine the roles being reversed? And society telling you you should feel guilty because of the way you look. And our black brothers and sisters, hey, a lot of them have felt that way. They certainly have. Some of them, over time, have been told to feel guilty. But why are we actively doing that again to another race in the midst of searching for equality and unity. Now, this kid right here was running around what looks to be New York City. I'm not 100% sure where he's at. And he, it, it's a gag. This, this, this kid's not serious, but he's going up to unsuspecting people that have no idea what's going on. And he tells them, hey, I'm with Black Lives Matter, and my, my boss, he's talking like, Black, like he works for Black Lives Matter, like it's a company or whatever. He's like, my boss is telling me that I need to get white people to kneel here on the street on this video and apologize for being white. So what do white people do? Well, I'll just let you listen. Excuse me. Hey, excuse me. I work for Black Lives Matter. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I work for Black Lives Matter. I'm sorry that I scared you. But... First of all, it was a little awkward that the black man came running up on this lady and she turned her, she turns around and got 
got startled. I mean, if we're going to apologize for anything, apologize for that, because that, <laughs> I mean, in normal circumstances, it does come off as racist. Since I work for that company, my CEO has told me to come out today and to bring you on your knees because you have white privilege. So if they see that a white person is getting on their knees, that shows solidarity for the situation. The situation. And could you just please apologize for, you know, for your white privilege? Just apologize? I am. It's it's big. She said, I'm trying to think of the right words to say because that's a big thing. This is a big moment in this lady's life that uh, she's coming up with this apology on the spot for being a white person. It's so it's large in this country. You know, with this country, we have that president, Donald Duck, that clown in office. You know, he's brought a lot of bigotry and you're not a part of it, right? No, and so, you know, Thank just you okay. You have a great day. <laughs> you want to talk about a clown? This guy just clowned this lady, and he did it. I found the original video. He did it for like two hours straight, going around the white people, and almost. For, well, I didn't watch the whole two hours, but every every portion I watched, every white person kneeled on the street in front of this guy and begged him for forgiveness, a person they've never met in their life. They're begging for this guy to forgive them for being white. Come on, white people. You got to get it together. You got to get it together. You know what we do? You know what kneeling represents? Two things. You kneel before your God because of obvious reason. He he is your God. He is he is the one. But you also kneel before your enemies. And in this case, this is this is the realm this is in. You kneel before your enemies because you've been defeated and you are begging for mercy. Begging for mercy because you've been defeated. Why does an entire race, or why does someone feel that an entire race has been defeated by anything? And why do they feel they need to beg for mercy and ask for forgiveness? And it's not just a handful of people. I'm not sure where this is. It may be in D.C., but I found a video that was a a large, large group of white people. Uh, and there was a, a black speaker, and he had all these people hold their hands up in the air, both hands, and repeat after him this pledge about what they're going to do to reverse their genetic racism, and their white privilege. This looks to be no less than a thousand people. I mean, I may be totally off with that number, but it is a very, very large crowd. Listen to this. About racism, anti-blackness, or violence. About racism, anti-blackness, or violence. I will use my voice in the most uplifting way possible. I will use my voice in the most uplifting way possible. 
and do everything in my power to educate my community. I will love my black neighbors the same as my white ones. About racism, anti-blackness, or violence. I will use my voice in the most uplifting way possible. Now, how does this bring unity? Can anybody tell me? Can anybody tell me how this brings an ounce of unity between the people of this country? I see nothing more than us saying, we've got a problem, let's address it, and find a solution. And the way we're going to do that is we are going to perpetrate said problem back on you. That's what's happening. It's like it's like history's being repeated. And I know that's shocking that that would happen. But that's what I'm seeing. That's what I'm watching. I watched another moment where a black police officer... And I don't know who he was with. I don't even know. He may have just not even been a police officer, more of like a security guard. It was a black man. And he was running, literally running from and being attacked by a group of protesters. And from what you could see in the video, every one of these protesters were white, screaming obscenities at him, hitting him, grabbing at him, and chasing him through a park. A mob of white people chasing a black man. In the name of equality, y'all. It was like 1960 all over again. So, there are certain white people that do have the privilege to be able to be racist, but not not be racist and actually be, you know, anti-racism, you know, freedom fighters or something. But there's plenty of ways you can be racist. You can be racist because you have not posted Black Lives Matter on your social media. Now, can I ask you, for those of you listening to this right now, have you, in fact, posted Black Lives Matter on your social media since the death of George Floyd? If you have not, you're probably racist. And your black friends are taking note that you have not posted what they need you to post. Morning, a friend of mine, you know, posted something without posting anything about uh, hashtag Black Lives Matter. It's incredibly hurtful. It's incredibly hurtful, particularly to people that I considered friends. While I would otherwise love to read your favorite banana bread recipe, it is necessary for me to, to have people, especially influencers, especially celebrities, to acknowledge that pain. Like if you were standing in a fire, you're in pain, and you have someone who's sitting three feet away who's not on fire, who's refusing to acknowledge your pain, and is twirling around with banana bread, it's the same thing. If something extremely personal happens to you, I wouldn't be able to post about Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and then in the midst of that, I'm posting about things that are lighthearted and happy and completely unrelated. 
white silence is incredibly powerful. It's not neutral. It acts like a weapon. It's not even silent. Like it, it speaks volumes, right? And the people of color who are around a silent white person, um, they hear the silence and they feel what it means. Whenever I see someone who's not a person of color on social media who is not posting anything at all, it reads as either tone deaf or worse, being complicit. I'm watching who... You hear that. Complicit. When, when, what does she mean by complicit? Well, she means you're a racist. If I see you not posting about Black Lives Matter, pro-Black Lives Matter stuff, Pro, you know, I mean, I've seen, I've literally seen people, I've, okay, let me say this. I saw a family member today, and I'm, I'm going to do the respectable thing and not say who it is. I saw a family member today post two separate tweets. One that promoted the abolishing of ICE and one promoting the abolishing of police. Okay? Now, this is a normal person posting this. Somebody I have respect for, but that I knew is on the left side of issues. But abolishing police, that's the kind of stuff that you're expected to endorse that you're apparently expected to post. If you're on social media and this week you've posted pictures of your food or selfies or anything else to show that your life is not completely wrecked and over and you have not completely submitted to the issue at hand, you are a complicit racist. No wonder white people are getting on their knees in the middle of the street in front of random people telling them they got to apologize for being white. No, think of That's terrifying. Which, I mean, white people are crazy in the first place. I saw one video. There's one video on Twitter where this, this old lady was uh, came up to this woman who's got her two or like, three kids out in the, uh, in the park and they're in one of these... One of these Hot Wheel, not Hot Wheels, like Big Wheel uh, battery-powered cars. You know what I'm talking about. The kids have, and they can drive it around. They drive it around the yard or whatever. And this old lady, white lady, comes up to the mom, and she's like, these kids don't have a driver's license. What are you doing? So white people are crazy. And this is the type of person, this is the same people. These are the Karens of the world, right? This is where the whole Karen moniker started. Which I think in a lot of cases when you see that and it's it's directed towards a, a black man or a black female, I think in a lot of those cases it's not motivated by race. It's just motivated by this person being a complete D-bag and that they would probably do that to anybody. But that's that's another issue. Let me play you the audio of this lady complaining about these kids driving around the park in their big wheel with no driver's license. They're playing. That's what the park is for. I never saw a car in here before. It's a, it's a power wheel car, It doesn't bother me. 
What bothers me is you have a little kid in here that doesn't have a driver's license. He's just a little kid and you're not with him. It's not a real car. Yeah, and the, the mom, the mom can't do anything but laugh. She's, she's like, this lady can't be serious. But she is. She certainly is serious. White people are crazy. I told y'all, I told y'all I was going to point out the craziness of white people, and there it is. But one of the craziest white people of all is Joe Biden, who who continues to pretend to not be racist and uh, be on the side of Black Lives Matter, uh, be on the side of people that are um, that are completely upset with the George Floyd situation, which should be everybody. We can make that clear. Everybody should be upset about that. But Joe Biden's got a history of racism. And there's no way around it. Now, I've harped on the 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 racism of the Democrat Party for a long time. But Joe Biden has really fired that debate back up with his comments when he made an appearance on The Breakfast Club. And you've heard those comments by now, but I'm going to play them for you anyway, just in case you need a quick reminder. Okay. Oh, uh oh, I'm in trouble. Listen, you got to come see us when you come to New York, VP Biden. Cause it's I a, will. It's a long way until November. We got more questions. You got more okay. questions. But I tell you, if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. It don't have nothing to do with Trump. It has to do with the fact I want. Can we point out the fact that uh, when he said that, it was his way of saying, okay, I understand, Charlemagne, you've got more questions for me, but really those are unnecessary because... You're black, and your listeners are black, so they're kind of required to vote for me because, you know what I'm saying, I mean, we kind of, we own y'all. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I want something for my community. I would love to see Take you. Take a look at my record, man. I extended the voting racks 25 years. I have a record that is second to none. The NAACP has endorsed me every time I've run. The war, I mean, come on. Take a look at the record. All right, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Anyway, thanks. I will come back. There, there's a reason Joe Biden's getting a hostile there. But he says, let's, um, he said, my record is second to none. Just look at my record. If you want to know where I stand on black issues, look at my record. Just look at, just look at it. So, all right, well, let's look at Joe Biden's record. Let's see how back in the 90s when he was a prominent senator from Delaware, Promoting bills left and right. He was real tough on crime, which, you know, I mean, that doesn't sound like a bad thing, right? Let's see what Joe Biden thought about African-Americans back in the 90s. There's about 100,000 of them who are the predators. 100,000 of the kids you read about in the front page of the newspaper every day. Unless we do something about that cadre of young people, tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing, a portion of them will become the predators 15 years from now. And Madam President, we have predators on our streets. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. We have no choice but to take them out of society. Oh. Uh, 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 um, oh, yeah about that uh but listen if you don't vote for joe biden you ain't black just remember that oh you're right all right oh no 
All right, let me go a little further because it, th those were two two different clips, two different speeches, if you will, that were kind of put together as like a little collage. So just for the sake of making sure nobody accuses me of deceptively editing clips, let's take uh, Joe Biden from... I actually got this clip from CNN Politics. Joe Biden in uh, his... his speech on the 1992 crime bill when they were pushing it through. He was the sponsor for that, obviously. Let's see what he said about his crime bill, verbatim, that he was trying to get through. Actually, it was 93. I think they called it 92. That, that's when it was originally drafted, but this was in 93. This is what Joe Biden said of the black community. We must take back the streets. It doesn't matter whether or not the person that is accosting your son or daughter or my son or daughter, my wife, your husband, my mother, your parents. It doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. It doesn't matter or not whether or not they had no background that enabled them to have to uh, become uh, uh, social, uh, become socialized into the fabric of society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask what made them do this. They must be taken off the street. That's number one. There's a consensus on that. Unless we do something about that cadre of young people, tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing, because they literally, I yield myself three more minutes, because they literally have not been socialized, they literally have not had an opportunity. We should focus on them now. If we don't, they will, or a portion of them will, become the predators 15 years from now. And Madam President, we have predators on our streets that society has in fact in part because of its neglect, created. Again, it does not mean because we created them that we somehow forgive them or do not take them out of society to protect my family and yours from them. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. Beyond the pale. And it's a sad commentary on society. We have no choice but to take them out of society. And the truth is, we don't very well know how to rehabilitate them at that point. That's the sad truth. I'm the guy that said rehabilitation. When it occurs, we don't understand it and notice it. And when we, even when we notice it and we know it occurs, we don't know why. So you cannot make rehabilitation a condition for release. That's why in our system, there's the federal system, you serve 85% of your time. It's a shame, but we don't know how to rehabilitate. But there is a consensus, and I will cease. A we must make the streets safer. I don't care why someone is a malefactor in society. I don't care why someone is antisocial. I don't care why they become a sociopath. We have an obligation to cordon them off from the rest of society, try to help them, 
try to change the behavior. That's what we do in this bill. We have drug treatment and we have other treatments to try to deal with it. But they are in jail, away from my mother, your husband, our families. But we would be, being, we would be absolutely stupid as a society if we didn't recognize the condition that nurtured those folks still exist and we must deal with that so that's it that's joe biden for you so you can decide is joe biden the one fighting for equality or is he the one that's actually racist the one that calls black people predators. The one that says we should lock these people away. These predators, quote unquote. Lock them away and never let them out. His words, not mine. We can try to rehabilitate them, but we've got to leave them in jail. We'll rehab them, but we'll leave them in jail. Or is it the guy... That is constantly signing off on prison reform. Getting African Americans in this country released from jail that should not have been there. Released from prison. They have no business still being in prison. The guy that's got black unemployment at an all-time low in this country's history. A guy that's trying to create... Equal justice for all. The guy in the White House right now. But I don't know. That's up to you to decide which one of those guys are racist. I'm sure you can figure it out, though, now that you got all the facts. Andrew McLean Who on Twitter, at Andrew McLean Who, over the line on Facebook and over the line on YouTube. Make sure you share the YouTube channel so we can get some more... Uh, more subscribers because we need them we'll be back next week with a brand new podcast and until then see you cool